0: I have a bone to pick. Can I pick a bone? This message is uh, something that's uh, difficult for me to articulate, in part because it's something I'm in the midst of trying to figure out myself fully right now. And uh, so if you can go on a journey with me, not only this morning, but in the course of the next months and maybe years, uh, there'll be some better clarity to this. You know, my son Levi and my family did make it back home safe. Thanks for those prayers, those kind of things, the travel mercies. My my mom was able to get on at LAX and be back in Indianapolis in 3 hours and 40 minutes. (laughs) I said, Mom, you're right next door. And so maybe she'll come back. (laughs) But uh, they made it back. And so uh, I'm on this journey of seven weeks. I got my oldest son Ryan coming down from college, which is great. Um, But uh, my 14-year-old Levi, who some of you met, He's a special kid, and uh, when we have chicken, he likes to eat the legs, and he just doesn't like to eat the meat. He likes to eat everything that's on that leg, down to the bone, licking the bone, and you're watching him because he's a slow eater after a while. We're all doing the celebration of cleaning up, and I'm looking over, Levi, do you want another leg with some meat on it? You don't have to keep gnawing on that bone. And he's just meticulous. He's going to eat that bone. And you're going like, well, dude, there's nothing left there. Let it go. Let it go. Well, you may feel that way by the time I try to meander my way through the next half hour. I have a bone to pick. And I'm trying to pull something. I'm like, there's something here. And my bone to pick is a bone to pick with those of us who call ourselves evangelicals. My bone to pick has to do with the message that we as evangelicals feel that we are carrying in our life or the lack thereof. My bone to pick is actually something that I have a holy discontent about. You ever had a holy discontent in your life? Maybe it's righteous anger or whatever. But there's just something that wells up inside of you saying, This is not right. There is something wrong here. Things need to change and be done different. And so I had this holy content. A lot of times when I say holy content to people, they get focused uh, on discontent. They they get focused on the discontent, like you're discontent, you're not happy, you're not easy. Uh, don't focus on the discontent. Focus on the holy, because I believe it's true that the spirit of God wells up within us on certain issues or certain things that we see going on things that you're broken about. Remember Jesus, he wept over Jerusalem. There was a brokenness. There was a holy discontent. And that's what I start to feel sometimes when I try to approach this subject of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we've referenced, actually, the last couple weeks, we're on a journey here for six weeks, trying to build and frame up a fresh calling, I believe, upon us as a body of people and what God's doing and going to be doing in our midst. And maybe you remember the the little curved charts, but last week we talked about at the baseline of all this is an understanding of the need that it starts, a movement starts with a man. And our movement starts not with me as a man, but with the Son of Man, the Son of God, all right? And the Son of God, the Son of Man, is Jesus Christ himself. And from the man, we're moving to the message today. All right. We'll look at the mission next week, and then ministry, and then movement, and then manifestation. But I want to look at the message, and the bone I have to pick with the issue of the message is that we as evangelicals do not carry with us the full message of the kingdom of God. Now you have note sheets. I want you to turn over on the back of your note sheet. I'm going to give you a little assignment here. Now this assignment, as much as I wanted to do it, I'm not going to have you turn it in. Otherwise, you would be stressed in this moment, all right? I could have you turn it in without names, but you'd still be stressed. I just want you, and I'm going to take just a second here. I want you to write for me the answer to this simple question as an evangelical follower of Jesus. What What is the gospel? Now maybe you're sort of, well, it's a vague term to me. That's fine. Just leave a blank, put a question mark. Or maybe you've um, studied well or had a lot of experience through the years and you can articulate what you believe the gospel is. What is the gospel? One of the things that I've been um, praying a lot about in coming of course, church has to do with a a youth movement and young people. Maybe it's because I have a lot of young people in my family, but maybe it's because I came out of youth ministry. I was in college and career ministry, but I'm mindful as seasons change, time comes and goes, that the winds of culture and the winds of um, the church, if you will, sort of pull and tug kids in a lot of different directions. There was a study done, a national study of youth and religion by a person by the name of Kendra Dean, and she had a bone to pick. She had a bone to pick concerning what is happening with the youth in our churches as well as in our culture. Listen to what they say about this. Churches seem to have offered teenagers a kind of diner theology, a bargain religion, cheap but satisfying, whose gods require little in the way of fidelity or sacrifice. Never mind that centuries of Christians have read Jesus' call to lay down one's life for others as the signature feature of Christian love, or that God's self-giving enables us to share the grace of Christ when when ours is pitifully insufficient. Diner theology is much easier to digest than all of this, and it is far safer, especially for the malleable youth. So who can blame churches, really, for earnestly ladling this stew into teenagers? filling them with an agreeable porridge about the importance of being nice, feeling good about yourself, and saving God for emergencies. We have convinced ourselves that this is the gospel, but in fact it is much closer to another mess of pottage, an unacknowledged but widely held religious outlook among American teenagers that is primarily dedicated not to loving God, but to avoiding interpersonal friction. There are inspiring exceptions, of course, but for the most part, we have traded the kind of faith confessed and embodied in the church, church's most long standing traditions, for the savory stew of moralistic therapeutic deism. And for the most part, young people have followed suit. Now, this comes from a study of youth. The person sums up the guiding beliefs of moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, deism is the belief that there is a God, but he's sort of absent, absent landlord, right? He's not really involved. These are the beliefs that are sort of coming across. One, God exists who created and orders the world and watches over life on earth. Okay. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Number four, God is not involved in my life except when I need God to resolve a problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. What the person's getting at here is a deep concern. What is being taught to our children? What is being taught to our youth? concerning the gospel of what God is all about? Is it about just being nice, being amicable and getting along with people, avoiding interpersonal conflict, realizing there's some God that exists out there and everything's going to be fine in the end when you die? And, oh, if he's there and I need to send up a prayer for an emergency, I can do that? Is that what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about? Where's the cutting edge? Where's the cutting edge of all that God brought through Jesus Christ? Where's where's the cutting edge that calls them out? To a costly discipleship. Just getting along. Being politically correct. Right? And so we have this porridge, this pottage, this this stew that's like, this is yuck. And it's not just with children and youth. It's with us as adults. What is the message that we are stewarding today to a lost and hurting world? What is the message we as a church our stewarding, I think, is a critical, critical question. Could you answer what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Last week we made mention of the verse in Daniel. The verse uh, in Daniel 7 that says this the Ancient of Days. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, I love this verse. Why? Because it's talking about a a grand picture of all that's going on in the eternities of time. And here it describes the one who is the Son of Man. We talked about it last week. Jesus took this term, Son of Man, referred to himself that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have the one who's from the ancient of days and eternity who entered into the world. And when he entered into the world, he began a ministry at the age of 30, though he worked in a carpenter shop until then. And at the age of 30, he launched this ministry. And one of the first things ever recorded that Jesus spoke had to do with trying to answer what I just asked you to put on your piece of paper. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And so we look in Mark chapter 1, which is the first gospel written. That's why I said it's the first recorded words of Jesus. It says, Jesus came then into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God. Hmm. What was he preaching? What was his message? What was he stewarding? Was it therapeutic, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism? Hmm. Just be moral. Here's some therapy for your soul. There is a God exists, but don't worry about him. He came preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news, in the gospel. You ever play that telephone game? Remember the telephone game as a kid? You know, you'd line up a bunch of kids, and on one end, it would go. You'd say a phrase to them, and then you could only say it once. You couldn't repeat it, and then they're supposed to repeat it to the next person, right? And then the next person, you get all the way down. If you didn't play this game, you didn't have a childhood. And you get all the way down (laughs) to the end, right? And then the last person says, well, this is what it was said. And the first person goes, oh, that's what it was said. Oh, that was crazy. So, you know, this person says something like, you know, Ali the alligator ate avocados in the afternoon, you know, and by the time it gets all the way down to the end, it's like, hippos are purple. You know, oh, that's so cool, Right? Well, I almost feel like Jesus came and Jesus had the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingdom is at hand, and he proclaimed it, and then you go down through all these generations and it's got down to the end, and we go, oh, just be nice. Everything's going to work out in the end. God's good. That's not what he proclaimed, okay? So we better go back here and we better get it right. Because it's not only being passed from one person to the next, it's being passed from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. Thus, some of my holy discontent of what are we passing on to the next generation? What are we passing on to our friends? Is it what Jesus brought when he began his ministry? You see, Jesus did not come and tell people to be good, to be nice. Now, being good and nice, in one sense, is important. But Jesus came proclaiming. And somewhere throughout all these connections, Jesus the proclaimer became merely Jesus the proclaimed. But we have to go back and say, what was Jesus proclaiming and make sure that we carry that proclaiming through. Now, part of that proclaiming is Jesus, the one who came and proclaimed. But it's not all of it, as we will see. Preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, let's take the word gospel first. The word gospel comes um, from a word basically meaning good news in ancient times. So just like you shared some good news. God helped me find a job. God healed and touched a person. God opened up a school for us to have a good news club in, right? That's that's all good news. And so gospel, the word itself, was an ancient word that was just merely used for good news. Hey, I'm having a wedding. I got a raise, whatever. So gospel is good news. Does our world today believe we as evangelicals are carrying good news? Or do they view us as being condemning people? Jesus came for the most broken, vile, hurting people in the world. I read this week, and as I was telling Ryan last night at dinner, that there was a couple, maybe you read it too, or whatever, they felt led when they were tipping somebody at a table to withhold the tip, and they put on their thing, we withheld the tip because of your lifestyle. And, of course, they were Christians. Of course, they were called out. Now, that doesn't tell you about all the people like Gordo who went to visit, you know, royals and, you know, the news polls out. But there's part of you just has that little cringe factor. You go, oh, no, really? Wouldn't that be a reason to tip a person really well? Right? If you felt concerned for them or something? And we got this tag on us in part because of our own undoing. We do not carry with us good news. Now, I understand there's bad news, bad news in our world, bad news about our sinful condition, and that's why we have good news that we can bring. But friends, the gospel in and of itself is good news, and Jesus came proclaiming good news. And the good news wasn't some mere plan of salvation. It was about the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God simply defined is that God is king? God is king. He's in control and He is working His will out during all these years. There was the beginning when Jesus came and inaugurating the kingdom. When He says the kingdom of God's at hand, it will be culminated someday when Jesus comes again. This is a big story, it's the big epic. But we have reduced our message from this full gospel of the kingdom down to a very myopic plan of salvation now this may be offensive to some of you please hang with me give me grace this is my bone to pick when you are called to steward the gospel of jesus christ it is primarily a proclamation of good news it is not calling people to cross over a line of decision making that can be part of it there should be part of it but you have to build. You have to build a foundation. You have to build the story with people and call them into something. Because what happened in our culture, today it's said that 75%, different studies, different ways, 75% of people in the Americas, in America, have had some type of spiritual decision to believe in God, believe in Jesus. But yet this morning, 20 to 25% of the people across the United States are found in church. Yeah, there's comings and goings, visits and trips to make. I understand all that. But if 75% of people say they've made some type of spiritual decision point, then why, excuse me, why is it not reflected more in our lives? It's because we've taken the gospel, we've stripped it down to making a decision. If you make the decision, you're good. I like how it was. I don't know if it's Dallas Will or whatever. It's like a scanning thing. You know when you scan something, it goes beep, beep. You got, you got, you got the, you got the little uh, price comes up. You know if you're doing the self-scanning thing, it's almost like we judge one another. An evangelical searches. says beep. Did you make the decision? Beep. You made the decision. Beep. You made. The beep, you made the, you're good. That's not what Jesus came to bring. There is a personal crossing of line, a faith line. Do not get me wrong with that. But Jesus did not come preaching towards a decision he called people out many turned and followed him no longer because they couldn't deal with his tough teachings i understand that but he foremostly came proclaiming the kingdom of god the good news that god's at work that god is reigning he's reigning through jesus christ he's working out his will even in the midst of the pain and the suffering our world and you are invited in to be a part of his kingdom that's good news especially when you read the headlines of our news and it's not an escapist kind of thing Oh, forget this world it's going to hell no god's redeeming and changing and transforming this world the end of the book says what he creates a new heaven and a new earth he cares he's not the deist that's absent-minded he cares about what's moving forward and we have that good news to share and call people not to mere decision point, but to call them into discipleship. This is what happens. If you've got some Catholic background in, in, your, in your life here, maybe you can relate to this. Hopefully it's not treading on difficult water. But a lot of times the more liturgical kind of church is a Catholic church. Becoming a member in the church is the kill all deal, right? And so you got, you know, if, if you're baptized as an infant or whatever, and you do the catechism, I mean, you just got to get in the church. If you're in the church, you're good. And we as evangelicals sit back with our spirit and go, that's not right. You've got to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. And you go back to the Reformation all that and understand why all that came about. That is true. You do need to make a personal decision. But are we any better as evangelicals saying, well, you got the decision point, beep, scan the code, you're good. No. Jesus didn't call people to decision. He called people to discipleship. And there's a huge disconnect going on today between those people who claim to be Christians because they've made a decision, but they've not really become disciples. That's why, you know, I, I describe people, you know, like a testimony that was given, you know, the plumber came and it was, you know, a Christian and it was impacting, right? A disciple of Jesus Christ uniquely disguised as a plumber. Our identity needs to be in the area of being a disciple and follower of the Lord in the full kingdom of God. Now, your decision point of faith, if you cross that line of faith this morning, may have been radical and transforming in your life. Anna shared uh, in the first uh, service, popped up and gave a quick. She says, I've been smiling all week. And Anna last week was baptized. and gave her testimony, right? Well, that decision point she crossed was huge for her and her life. So I'm not negating that. But if we just focus on getting in, crossing some that's not the full kingdom picture. Jesus, when he just sent his disciples out, and we'll be looking at this more in the coming weeks. But it says this. When he sent them out to do his work, it says this in Luke um, chapter 10. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them. What? Tell them you've got to get saved. No. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say... Even the dust of our, your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Your answer for what the gospel is needs to somewhere include the grander story of the kingdom of God and what he's doing. Creation, the calling of Israel to be his special people, not because they were so special because he was going to bless them so that they could bless other nations. Jesus, his entry into the world, the church age that we're in, the culmination of the kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth, there is a much broader, grander story that you can share with people. The kingdom of God is near. And when Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe in the good news and the gospel, he was saying that his kingly reign was now present, working in their midst. Yes, from the eons and time, but his incarnation brought his kingly reign in a personal tangible way and what he was about seeing happen was that kingdom of god that reign of him being king to come into the hearts and the lives of people into communities and neighborhoods and nations in the world it's broken and sinful and there's an adversary who's tearing down at every turn but one of these days when jesus christ comes again the full culmination of that kingly reign will be seen the lion will lay down with the lamb he will wipe every tear from our eye and we will be ushered into the eons of eternity, not to sit on the cloud and play a harp, but to be able to live with him and to rule and reign as co-heirs with Christ. There is a grand story here, and I tell you what, whether it's young people or old people, we need to start repainting the bigger picture because we are seen as small trivialists. Evangel. The word evangel is where we get evangelism from, and that's carrying the good news story the good news story about the kingdom of God. I was reading somebody this week, my name is Scott McKnight. He's written a great book on some of this. It's Scott he, uh, McKnight, he talks about that uh, we have become soterians rather than evangelicals. Soterians, It's uh, the words, uh, soteriology, the, uh, the salvation study, we've become focused just on a plan of salvation. And so really we're soterians, we're not evangelicals. Because evangelicals will be stewarding broader this message of the gospel of the kingdom of God and that Jesus and God is king. And so we've got to step back, bone to pick or whatever you want to refer to it as, and evaluate what's going on. When we send people out ourselves, are we proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near you? That's good news. It really is good news. A verse that we'll come back to again in the coming weeks is one that jesus spoke in matthew 24 14 he says this and this gospel the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come what gospel the gospel of salvation well that's part of it but it's the fuller gospel the gospel of the whole kingdom of god and so i believe that we need to work with one another encourage one another small groups and our friendship, to begin articulating what is the fuller gospel, the kingdom of God. And then what did Jesus say? Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel, the kingdom. Now what does repent mean? You might know, think repent means, you know, sit in dust and ashes or what? just a big, oh my goodness, I'm a, such a wretched sinner, all these kind of things, right? Isn't repentance part of salvation? You bet your repentance is part of salvation. And it may be a deeply spiritual, convicting kind of moment in your time. But the word repentance is actually a word that just simply means changing your mind or changing your direction. Friends, you are heading a direction here where you think this whole world is about you and your needs and everything. But it's not. You've got to change your mind and direction. It's about going this other way. It is about the kingdom of God and Jesus and his rule and his reign. It's not about you. There may be salvation in this plan for you, but this world's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. You know, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan, right? And they did it again this week. They dug themselves a hole, two touchdowns down on Thursday night, right? And I think part of the reason they do that is because they think they need to get the running game in play when they got a really all-time pro emerging in Andrew Luck. And the boy can throw the ball and make decisions on the run, for those of you who are a football fan. And there's part of me that just wants to tell my Colts coaches, and I actually know some of them because of the connections through the years, But they would say, you know, you don't understand football, Bowman, and they're probably right, I suppose, and they'll make it through. But it's like, you know, the running game is not getting you where you need to go. It may set up the path, I understand. But you need to turn directions and unleash the quarterback sometimes and let him play. That's what I feel like when I watch the Colts these days. Thankfully, they came back and they won Thursday. But that's what change of direction means you're going this direction thinking that the gospel is about you and your personal needs and 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 just a plan of salvation when no it's not it's, it's this it's much something much fuller don't get me wrong i am very clear with having a plan of salvation to offer people who want to cross the line of faith not just as a decision but to become a disciple but that's not the full gospel of the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul, who understood the gospel of the kingdom, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. You can study the whole chapter. I've listed it for you, but I just want to read verses 3 through 5. The Apostle says, "...for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelfth. The Apostle Paul, in his writings, focus on the gospel related to justification by faith. But he's not limiting himself from the full gospel of the kingdom. He's articulating clearly in view of the life of Jesus, this pivotal work that Jesus did as the king who reigns. And he says, Jesus, friends, he died, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared. That's all a part of the gospel. And so he sums this up in his gospel expression. But the gospel expression is just not the story of Jesus himself. We need to be well. And and you catch this. What I received, I passed on to you. It's like he was playing the telephone game, right? Hey. Oh, okay, that's really good news. And Hey, did you hear did you hear? He was just one in the line of succession of passing on the good news of the gospel of story. Jesus came pronouncing the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The kingly reign is here. Open up your hearts to follow me. Come into this kingly reign and be a part of the community that will be launched into eternity. And to do that, you've got to come to me. Why do you refuse to come to me? We talked about that last week. And here's Paul, the next one, here and that. Yes, and this is how. You need to know you're coming to the king, the king who came to reign, who died, who, who rose from the grave, who appeared to people, who is coming again. And you are justified by faith, by placing your belief in him. And then it moves to the next person and the next person. This is the beautiful plan that we have. Can you articulate what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? I sort of put this picture up here. Maybe this gets at maybe some of the confusion I've built to this point in picking my bone. The baseline of what we have to offer the world is the story of the kingdom of God. It's the grand story beginning with creation. You could even begin before creation, right? The ancient of days. And then God, He chose a people the Israelites. He chose the Israelites, the Jewish nation, to be able to bless them so they could be a blessing, it says in Genesis. Now they got that confused a little bit sometimes. You find the ups and downs throughout all the Old Testament concerning the nation of Israel. But Jesus knew what was in the future with Him coming to be their Redeemer and their King. If you've got some time this week, read something like Psalm 72. Psalm 72 talks about the longing hope of the Jewish people, for a Messiah. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the Israel story. You know when you say Jesus Christ, you know what you're saying? Christ is the Greek translation for the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus Messiah. Jesus Christ. So you can't talk about Jesus Christ without talking about the fulfillment of the Israelite story. So you got the the creation, you got the choosing of Israel, the Jewish people, but Jesus came to be the promised Messiah. Some of the hope you see in something like Psalm 72. And then Jesus ushers in the church age, which is us. We are alive and well because Jesus lives within us if we've crossed the line of faith and we're following him, right? Yes, that's true. And we're in this church age. It's been 2,000 years now. We don't know how many more years, but there's coming a second appearance of Jesus, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So that's the fuller gospel of the kingdom of God, and right in the center of this gospel is the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you build the story of Jesus Christ on top of that. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his appearance. If you read the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark's very short. It's mostly about the Passion Week. It's almost like Mark was so anxious to tell that part of the story. He was just rushing through immediately, and then at once. You have all these words, and it's pointing to the fact that Jesus... Death and resurrection was the pivotal point of all of history. The pivotal point of the kingdom of God. He truly is the one who reigns forever. So the story of Jesus needs to be able to be articulated and steward well. Then, from that, you can articulate a plan of salvation. And the plan of salvation... Begins with information. You cannot lead somebody to faith, allow them to become a participant in the kingdom of God, unless there's information at some level concerning the stories. The story of the kingdom and the story of Jesus. Then, with that information, you're calling them to belief. And that belief, yes, I believe that information to be true, but that belief is going to lead to a repentance, a turning from I'm going this direction, thinking about my own life, it's about me going, oh my gosh, that is a terrible game plan. That game plan is not working. The game plan I need to pursue is the game plan of being in the kingdom and following the kingly reign of Jesus. So there's that repentance aspect to the plan of salvation, and then there's faith. And faith is putting your full trust in that which you believe to be true. We won't go into it much, but a good example is this stool. This stool has four legs. I can tell you all about this stool. I can tell you that this stool will hold me up if I sit on it. But until I actually sit on it, I've not committed myself, placed my faith on this stool to uphold me. We've got a lot of work here to do, don't we? You might feel overwhelmed right now. Oh, my goodness, can we get out of this classroom? Friends, i got a bone to pick. This is critical because the world's in desperate need. Your friends, your family are in desperate need, and we need to steward well down the line the full gospel of the kingdom of God the story of Jesus. We need to be clear about a plan of salvation and we need to persuade and justify that it's true. The commitment. But what happens oftentimes is that it gets reversed. I don't know. Probably don't have them around here. Hopefully you don't. In the Midwest they do. You can be driving down an interstate and see a big billboard that says, hell is real. I go, thank you very much. That encouraged my day what's the primary means evangelicals have used to persuade people to make a decision to follow Jesus? You're going to go to hell if you don't. Well, here's the reality. Yes, you will not be in heaven with the king if you don't want to follow his kingly reign. And so it's not that God sends people to hell, if you will. It's just that why would you want to be where you don't want to be? And so he says, this is about my kingly reign. And so, yes, hell is real. Eternal damnation is clearly spoken in the Bible. Jesus talks about eternal consequences. But you don't lead with that. Jesus didn't say, Hey, hell is real. Repent and believe in me now. That was not his story. That was not his message. His message was the full gospel of the kingdom. I have one other diagram and, and I'll close with this. This diagram actually I just threw together. It comes from some of our Christian missionary alliance background, the church that we're a part of as denomination. One of the reasons I believe God has blessed well the movement that we're a part of is because we've not become myopic that it's all about a decision point or a plan of salvation. Back from the founder, A.B. Simpson, he stewarded well a full gospel of the kingdom. And so Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King was what was referenced as the fourfold gospel. And you can articulate it this way. We are talking about the incarnated king, about the reigning king, about the transforming king, about an anticipated anticipated king. You may not like the word king, but we will fall down at his feet someday. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our destiny in a physical presence. We are given this opportunity on this earth to invite people into his kingly reign. When you go out this week in the scattering and the dispersifying experience, may you steward well the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's Christocentric, Christ-centered, transformational lordship or kingship. That's the story we get to share in word and in deed. And right in the center of it is the cross. And we're drawn to the cross. We're drawn to the Christ of the cross. We're drawn to the one who had over him on the cross king of kings, king of the Jews. Why? Because they knew exactly what Jesus claimed. He was claiming kingship. Is he king of your life? Is he king of your family, your kids, your friends? We have good news to share. The gospel is the good news about the full kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we ask in this moment that you would mobilize us as a people with a deep conviction concerning the good news that you brought your kingly reign. Lord, as we begin to unpackage this afresh and anew over the weeks, months, even years ahead. May we be a body of people who are not about a mere decision point, but may we be a body of people called out as disciples of the King. Lord, bless us, lead us, and lead us first by way of the cross so that our hearts are repentant, turning towards you and not towards ourselves. In your name we pray. Chris is going to come and lead us with a couple songs to close. Thank you for your grace and your time extended today, especially with the sharing together. I'm going to slip over to the students. I want to talk to them a little bit. There's some transition that we're looking at in student ministry. It's for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we do all that we do. May we worship him in the beauty of his holiness as we come to the cross this morning.